Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Hey everybody, welcome to uh, what I think is the 87th episode of Real Hawk Talk. Yeah, that's right. This is uh, Brian M. Hauser at Hawk Blogger on Twitter. Here my voice is a little bit uh, uh, less than normal. Been fighting through a cold and uh, didn't do myself any favors on Sunday. Um, so forgive me if my voice uh, gives out a little bit here and there. And uh, we, we're going to start this week with... Our good friend up in Toronto, Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm all right, man. Uh, I, I definitely just went through a cold myself, so I can I can relate. I'm still a little stuffed up. I, I didn't go to the game now, so have some honey, have some tea. But <laughs> you're probably going to do a lot of yelling on Sundays, so hopefully, hopefully you're all rested up by that. Yeah, well, no, it's a good thought. I should have actually got some... Uh some honey and hot water to, to, to get ready for the show. Did, did not put that, uh, that together. So we will be joined by um, Evan and Nathan a little bit later. They're both uh, running a little bit late. So uh, I know Evan's traveling as well. So I'm going to enjoy some, some uh, nachos with, with him and the crew tomorrow. Sorry, you will not be there for that, Jeff. Uh, oh. we, had, we had a little bet on that and uh, the Seahawks didn't quite pull it off for us. I was so wrapped up in that ending Sunday. I totally forgot about that until you guys were talking about the nachos yesterday and it clicked again. Man, I was one inch away from coming. That's brutal. I know. I know. I mean, it, it was, it was, you know, we talked about it on the post game show and, and I think we, we should start there, but, but before we kind of get into um, that, we'll, we'll run over. We're going to talk definitely a little bit about the 49ers game for the folks that didn't tune into the post game show, um, go over some of the things that, that we think matter about that game going forward. And then 
spend the bulk of the time talking about this Eagles matchup. Um, there's been a, a bunch of changes. And, you know, looking back even at that Eagles game where the Seahawks won in Philadelphia and and what of those things we think are, are going to matter in, in this game ahead. Um, before we do, as always, uh, it's been a great year again on Hawk Blogger and, you know, it is a new decade. So we want to really thank everybody who's been supportive to the show. Uh, we're I think we're on track to, to donate over $20,000 again to Ben's Fund this year. That'll take us up to $140,000. That we've donated um you know uh when the time comes so really appreciate that if you haven't already it's not too late to sign up at patreon.com slash hawk blogger um and also there's ways to support you can buy merch i i've got some sweatshirts ready to hand out to some of the guys uh tomorrow um you should definitely go and and uh, uh order some of those they're, they're actually honestly really nice um i really enjoy it Jeff, you got to order yours, man. So I can, uh, I know, I know I can send, send you stuff, but we got that, 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 uh, that, uh, Canada challenge that, that always makes everything a little bit more problems than it, <laughs> it is for others. Um, and then, yeah, please subscribe. Uh, it's simple. I think we are either at, or just about to eclipse 4,000 subscribers on YouTube. We've doubled year over year again. And, uh, I think we're building a really nice community. I think someone said, uh, I think it was Katie Bourne, I want to say, um, thanked us on Twitter. Uh, it feels like, and I think a couple other people as well, just said that we've created a safe space to be a Seahawks fan and have a good time and talk about uh, the Seahawks without all the negative um, trolling that seems to go on in, in the broader Twitter sphere. So that's exactly what we're trying to do. And um, I really appreciate that. So uh uh, I think trying to see here. I think uh, okay. We're, we've got we've still got some uh, some folks that are trying to to ruin the vibe, but we'll we'll take care of that. So um, anyway, I uh, just want to appreciate say thank you for everyone that's done that. Um, subscribe if you haven't already on YouTube. Subscribe on Spotify or Stitcher or Google Play or or iTunes. All those things are great options and. Um, uh, let's see. Where do we want to start? I, I guess it's been a couple of days since the Seahawks played against the 49ers. Um, that was a game where the Seahawks clearly were the underdog um, and were not the most talented team on the field. And yet, and, and we're down 13, I think, at halftime. And yet, they should have won the game. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of curious, Jeff, a few days later, how are you feeling um, about that game and and what it means for the Seahawks? Um, still pretty similar to how I felt Sunday, which was, I was pretty encouraged, even though they lost. And not just because of who they ended up with the playoffs. Just we talked last week. We talked realistically on our chat for like the last month. Like, I think we have a pretty good idea of who the Seahawks team is, how good they are and what their realistic like what their big picture is right now and realistically i try to i tried to work myself up i know some injured guys came back but i didn't think they had a chance to compete in the first half kind of the score was closer than it probably the game felt it felt like 30 nothing and i really didn't think i wasn't surprised but the fact that the seahawks still were able to move the ball and probably should have scored four touchdowns and a half against that team i think that's the most encouraging thing because for the Seahawks to make any sort of run in the playoffs, 
that's their only way to do it. And I'm hoping that wasn't a facade and the second half isn't just a short-term thing because they really haven't been good over the last month, but I'm encouraged that they showed that they can play like that still, because if they're going to make a run, that's how, because we know what the defense is. We know what the special teams is. I thought the offense second half, there's a lot you can see carrying over. Well, I'm interested, you know, the Seahawks, as of right now, it's looking like they're going to get Quandre Diggs back this week. Yeah. Um, they also had to put um, Michael Kendricks on the IR. So, you know, he's out. I see that as a step forward overall. Um, yeah. I, I don't think losing Kendricks is a huge deal, but, you know, Diggs is coming back from a high ankle sprain. He's coming back pretty quickly. Seems like it's positive. Uh, how big of a how big of a deal do you think that is for this defense? Oh, it's the biggest possible thing that that could happen to them right now. Um, just we've talked about this so much on our show this year, just how different the defense has looked with Diggs and without Diggs, and just going beyond that. Number one, it takes Delano Hill off the field, which I don't want to bag on the guy, but he's just not an NFL starter by any means right now, and he was a clear weakness in that game on Sunday. He can't tackle well. He can't hit that well. Uh, he's not great in coverage. He literally limits what McDougal can do and kind of what you can call. Diggs really adds something that this secondary just doesn't have, which is like a pure hitter. And not only is he really savvy in terms of like reading coverages and playing plays on the ball, how many, how many picks? Did he have four picks or something, five picks mm-hmm. in the short term he played. But he, he just adds that like kind of oomph in the back of the secondary and kind of makes receivers, even the first time they played San Francisco, Diggs crushed a receiver coming across a slant route. And just going from Hill to Delano Hill falling on his face and not being able to take the proper angle, it essentially addresses the biggest weakness on the team, which has been safety play all year, and it makes it a potentially good unit. And to me, Diggs may be their best player this year on defense at any position. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think um, looking back at the first game against the Eagles – Diggs was the the highest graded player by Pro Football Focus. He had a I think a 89 grade or something along those lines. He had a, a forced fumble, um, a fumble recovery, um, you know, a number of big hits. And I, I mean, I think you can't under under you can't overstate, I should say, how important it is to have someone better than Leno Hill out there. Yeah, I mean, he is he's not a starting caliber safety. Um, it's not even saying he's below average. He's just not a starting caliber safety. I don't know that if he was dropped, I'm not sure he'd get picked up by another team. Like, yeah. so he probably would, but you know, it would know. be a depth guy somewhere. Like he's close to Tedrick. Like he's that kind of player so far, so far. I mean, I was hoping it, you know, I, I, I didn't think it could be as bad, but I think he's been roughly as bad. And, and so even Quandre digs at 80%, let's say that he's not hundred percent on his ankle is a big step forward. I think, I think just being assignment, correct, being able to um, make a tackle in space. Um, I think all those things are great. And I think there's a big, a big storyline and we'll get into a little bit more later, but there's a lot of talk about how the Eagles offense is playing so much better lately. And they are, um, we'll talk a little bit about uh, who they've done it against, but yeah, but they had Zach Ertz in that first game and he had 12 catches on 14 targets to just completely, you know, he was by far their biggest contributor on offense and he's, 
potentially not going to play in this game. I think it's probably more likely that he does not play in this game than that he does. He has a broken rib and apparently a lacerated kidney. He's only missed, I think, a game. So I think expecting him to come back, I think, is is asking a lot. Yeah, it's with him, it's kind of a long-term injury situation where he might be able to, like, really, if he needed to, play this week. But he's putting a lot at stake based on the injuries he has. And I don't know if the doctors will clear him to play. So if he can't play, that that's a huge – we spent a lot of time talking about George Kittle last week and the impact a good tight end can have. And now the scheme has for years struggled to cover tight ends. Ertz is maybe the best or one of the best receiving, purely receiving tight ends in the league. And with all the Eagles injuries or receiver, Ertz is such an important part of what they do. And it would be such an important part of how they would attack Seattle. And how. And if they take him out, Dallas Godard is pretty good, but there's just a huge drop off between him and Ertz. And this team, they're so beaten up at receiver. Deshaun Jackson's out. Nelson Aguilar is probably out. Um, Alshon Jeffrey. Even some of their like borderline guys are out. So if you take Ertz out of there too, and they lost maybe their best interior offensive lineman this week, we, we talk a lot about the Seahawks injuries. These guys are way more beat up. And, man, it, it would be a great break for the Seahawks if Ertz can't play. Yeah, it's, it's I'm with you on all except the way more beat up. I think I think they're they're close. I think they're they're similar. Um, you know, but but if you look at the first game when the Seahawks played the the Eagles, Lane Johnson didn't play the right yeah. tackle. He may play this game. I would say he's definitely I think I'd say he's more likely to play than than Ertz. That'd mm-hmm. be a big big get for them if he could get back. Um Brandon Brooks played like 11 snaps in that game and then went out with an anxiety issue. And so he won't be in this game, but he also wasn't in the last game. Um, So I don't know that, that that there's a significant difference there. There could actually be, you know, arguing whether Lane plays Johnson plays or not. There could be a step forward for the Eagles in terms of the state of their offensive line. The receiver group was in a, you know, did not have Alshon Jeffrey did not have, um, Nelson Aguilar, not that those guys have been great this year either, but yeah, um, you know, the, they did not have Deshaun Jackson. So those guys won't play again. None of those guys, Nelson Aguilar will not play this, this week. And I think that the Eagles have found a little bit more, um, productivity at the receiver position since the Seahawks, uh, since they played the Seahawks. Um, I think this guy, I want to say his name's Deontay Jackson. I have to double check, but, um, uh, he's been a, a a good performer for them of late, and a guy that actually played in the Seahawks game and played reasonably well against them. Um, uh, what's his name? Greg Ward uh, has. Yeah, played that was his least. first game. Yeah, and I think he's he's played reasonably well for them down the stretch. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Deontay Burnett is the name of the receiver. Yeah. I was mentioning he actually just played his first game, played well. Um, I think Mac Hollins, maybe that's the other guy, but there's been a couple guys that have stepped up and, and, and Carson Wentz has definitely played better than he played in that game. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think all in all the, the Eagles are probably a little bit healthier. I think one of the guys they are getting back is Jordan Howard as well. Um, I, I think Jordan Howard is a difference maker. So really you don't tell me why. I think he's just – I think he's just the guy. I think I think they're going to play a lot of Boston Scott, who's been there kind of filling running back. 
And the guy who was really playing well for them, Miles Sanders, he was probably their best player during that whole stretch. He's hurt too. He has a low ankle sprain, and he might not play either. I think Jordan Howard's a fine running back. I think he's just like a straight-ahead plotter, power running back. He's had good offensive lines his whole career. But, like, of all the things that would worry me about injuries, I just I think he's very low on the list. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I guess I've always looked as, at Jordan Howard as a – you know, he's the physical tackle-breaking kind of guy, and I don't think they really have that. I don't know Boston Scott that well, although I've been reading about him. Um, and he certainly has uh, – you know, he's graded out pretty similarly to Jordan Howard. Um, so – We'll see. Jordan Howard was back for this last game last week of the season for the Eagles. He only played like a snap, I think. Yeah, um, it was all Boston Scott. Yeah, he's got like a neck injury that I think they were being careful about, but they're saying they expect him to play more. Miles Sanders is the guy that had been playing a lot, and he had a pretty serious ankle injury in this last game. So yeah. it's they're, they expect him to play, but, you know, that's a – Playing playing on an injured ankle as a running back, yeah. Seahawks may actually benefit from him playing more than him sitting out. Yeah, and he's his whole game is quickness. And if he can't make those cuts, that yeah, you're right. They just make some they're gonna waste time giving him snaps if he's not playing at his usual speed. So when you uh look back at the the 49ers game and yeah. And then you look at what are those things that you noticed in that game that translate to this game against Philadelphia? They can be positives. They can be negatives. What are the things that you think? Um, I, think I think offensively how they use DK Metcalf and uh, Tyler Lockett in the second half. I think that's something they can transfer. And I've spent a lot of time this year just talking about how they're spending too much time not targeting their best players in high leverage situations. And you kind of saw it at the end of the game a little bit, but when they kind of got hot in offense. It was those quick outs to lock it where they were kind of moving them around. They found, figured out how to use Metcalf. He had 12 targets. And I think once they got the pace up and they kind of got, I really like their usage of Travis Homer in the second half. Everyone talks about how Russell needs to play in this high pace, fast offense, let him cook all this stuff. Homer is the perfect back for that offense. He doesn't dictate what they're going to do personnel wise. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can run out of the eye. He can run in a shotgun. I thought their usage of him in the second half, the thing with Marshawn is Marshawn did show some strides and there's been a lot of talk about how good he was. And we saw some of his bad EPA numbers, but when he's in the game, you can really dictate what they're going to do. That's the issue with Marshawn with Homer, who I thought looked pretty good. I thought he was one of the bright spots of the game. I think if you can kind of move forward with this high tempo offense that worked so well for them in the second half, and definitely they're going to need to survive in the playoffs. I thought the usage of the receivers and Homer, it's something you can definitely carry over because that's the game that fits Russell, that high tempo, the protection got better once they went up tempo. And that's against a much better defensive line group than you'll see this week. So if you can kind of get those three things going, use the two receivers very frequently, even use our a little more, and then use the running back kind of the way they did. I think that's a big step for them. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 hard for me to not just compare these two teams um, right back to back, and I have so much respect for how good the 49ers team is. I don't have respect for their fan base, but I have, I have respect for for that team and the coaching staff and the talent level, and that's a defense that plays among, if not the best coverage in the game with 
among, if not the best pass rush in the game. Those two things. Yeah. Eagles are not close to the best coverage in the game. Um, they're okay, but they're not the best. And they've given up some big plays. And, uh, you know, in general, they've just been middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. The pass rush is good, but it's not the best. It's good. And they've got two edge rushers that are good, and they've got some di- good interior rushers. But I look at the Seahawks with George Fant playing against that team without Luke Wilson, who I actually think people joke, but Tyron Swoops has been really bad, like really, really bad blocking, like in almost everything he's doing. So when he's out there, he's a problem for the Seahawks, but he played last week and they went against that defense. And like you said, they should have scored four straight touchdowns in the second half against that defense. So, uh, um, you know, Luke Wilson is supposed to play this week. He practiced fully today. Um, I think that's, that's better than him not playing for sure. Yeah. And I think that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and the way that they, the, the chemistry we started to see and the comfort level that we started to see Russell play, I thought that was Russell's best game maybe in the last two months. Like that was one of the most encouraging things to me. I thought he was, he was making time, like he was finding a way to move within the pocket, finding space. I thought that the fact that the 49ers only had one sack in that game was kind of shocking. And I think there's reason to hope. I mean, he played a really not so great game in Philadelphia last time. DK Metcalf played his worst game of the season or close to it. Um, Tyler Lockett was coming off. Like that was his first game after that major injury. He was basically not there. So those are all reasons where I'm like, yeah, I mean, I I can see the Seahawks um, playing a reasonably solid game on offense against this Eagles defense if they can carry forward some of what they did, which was not super dependent on deep plays and deep throws. And and I think the Eagles game plan seemed like it was completely dependent on deep throws um, in a game where there's a lot of wind. So uh, I want to welcome in Nathan, uh, uh, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11 uh, to the show. How you doing, Nathan? Are you there? Looks like he's got some technical issues. Nathan's got some technical issues. So, Jeff, any thoughts on on what I was uh, mentioning there? Well, I'm glad you agree with me. Number one, yeah, um, yeah. I thought thought the problem with like the Seahawks' plan in the first half last week is it just didn't seem like they had a reasonable strategy to attack San Francisco. Like it was hard to tell what their plan was, and you know, they were kind of disjointed and how they were using Marshawn and what their passing plays were. And in the second half, that's why I was so encouraged coming out of that game. Just the way they used their two best receivers and their two best weapons, Lockett and Metcalf, I think that's how they have to play. And I think maybe their first two targets of the game, for example, I believe were to draw on Brown. And that's the kind of stuff I think gets them in trouble. And I think if they're going to make a run, and especially against the Eagles team where you mentioned it before, their coverage is probably the worst secondary they would play in the playoffs. And they have Fletcher Cox up the middle. He's a damn good player. And, Malcolm Jenkins can kind of blitz from weird spots, but the Seahawks best way of winning is through Russell and through those two receivers. So if you can keep feeding them early, getting them going in the game plan, the corners in this game are not great. These are the worst group of corners they would play. Again, there's no Richard Sherman taking away one side of the field. These are, these are guys that Lockett and Metcalf should win against consistently. So that, that that's a great advantageous situation for Seattle. Um. 
curious, you know, people are, people are saying, I mean, Pete even mentioned it in his press conference, something about like 50 mile an hour winds. Yeah. I looked at the forecast. I'm not seeing anything like that. There is, it is supposed to be windy, but like 15 miles an hour or something like that. So I don't know, maybe it was, he heard 50 and it was 15, but uh, in any event, um, you know, it'll probably be windy. It'll be cold. It doesn't look like it's going to be raining. Um, it seems like there's there's reason to believe, like, even if it is 25 mile an hour winds, you should be able to do most of the game plan that we saw the Seahawks doing against the 49ers in the second half. And yeah, hopefully they can learn from last time where there was that kind of strange deep ball where DK Metcalf couldn't read the, the one he dropped or he kind of lost it in the air and couldn't read the ball with the wind. And that was a right, the play right before the half in the Philly game. And yeah, that's what... To me, it was the way that Metcalf and Lockett were winning those routes. I don't think win would be a huge factor, just like you said. And it was kind of short, quick stuff. And how many times have we said on this show that they need to get back to the quick game? With their protection issues, with Dwayne Brown out, the deep game is going to be hard for them because that's what teams are going to try to take away. That's the number one thing teams are going to try to take away, especially with Tyler Lockett. So if you can get that quick stuff going and the way they used – I love how they used Lockett in the second half. I thought – that was the biggest change from the last month or two, just how easily Lockett was winning those routes and how easily Russell was getting the ball to him. And sometimes the out route's not the best one he throws. And DK against Weatherspoon, and then even when Weatherspoon went out, and then DK really took advantage of that back of Mosley. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. The wind shouldn't factor in if they're not trying to go too much deep drop, deep passing game. I know that's what Shoddy, Pete, and Russ love, but... I'm hoping they take away what they did, those quick dump-offs to Homer, put the ball in advantageous situations, and try to win differently. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because in that first game, the Seahawks definitely came out with a game plan to throw deep a lot. And it was oh, we were frustrated about it. It was low percentage, especially in the win. But even with that, they had a deep touchdown to Malik Turner. It was a beautiful throw by Russ, a great catch by Turner. Oh yeah. Okay, was wide open for another one that wasn't the greatest throw by Russell, but it was there and DK should have made the catch. So there was there were some chances for for deep touchdowns, um some of which were converted. Even Lockett in that game had I think a 38-yard catch toward the end to kind of help seal it. Oh, yeah. but, uh they what they didn't have is the underneath game and that's where Lockett excels. DK has definitely brought that more in the past weeks. A lot of those routes were comeback routes that he was running. Um, and he just, he just didn't make great plays in that first game. So I think DK Metcalf has been coming on really strong the, the last half of the season, the last, especially the last few games. And I think the, the duo of Lockett and Metcalf, I think are one of the, <coughs> one of the bigger ones um, in the playoffs at the receiver position. Um, let's see if we can try again with Nathan. Are you uh, able to hear us now, Nathan? I can. Uh, oh, we can hear you too. Yeah. yeah. Got to figure it out. Well, not really. I think my laptop's crapped out on me, but I'm on my phone now. So here we are. Hey, hooray hey. for, for computers that have now become phones. Mm. Uh, so, so talk to us, Nathan, about, um, I don't think we got to hear your, your takeaways from the game against the 49ers. Um, you're not going in, we're not going to go into depth there, but what are the things from that game that you believe um, are going to be relevant going forward into this game against the Eagles? 
Uh, I mean, I think the thing I hope is relevant is that that second half offensive resurgence uh, is real and that they figure something out. Um, uh, I think we've seen this from them. I mean, really kind of all year, but especially since like the first Niners game where they just can't quite get everything going at the same time. The offense was pretty consistent there for, you know, the first nine weeks or so. Um, but even, you know, then they had moments where, or, and halves where they, they weren't clicking. And, um, so hopefully I, I'm not especially hopeful, but hopefully, uh, that second half was, you know, them kind of getting something together and something that they can, you know, roll forward into next week. Um, <laughs> I, a couple things I got to point out. Uh, someone in the chat mentioned this. Evan's a little late showing up, which we mentioned. He's going to be here in a few minutes. But it is a little curious that Elena is also not in the chat. So, again, not sure if they're the same people or different. Um, we will find out if Elena starts showing up in the chat a little later. Um, and I also want to thank uh, Brent C. Knowles for making a donation in the Super Chat. I have no idea what cop is in terms of a uh, currency but we appreciate your donation uh and he asked the question why didn't they use shakim at all at uh, as a pass rusher versus the niners um he only played special teams so i'm i had the same question i, I was kind of curious where, where you guys thought and and uh nathan why don't we start with you the only thing that really i mean it, it... Shaquem has discipline issues. Um, uh, he is uh, going a million miles an hour at all times and not always in the right direction. Uh, and so that is something that you could see San Francisco exploit. And you did see them exploit that against all the other guys. And you've seen several other teams exploit that. So on the one hand, I kind of get it with the way that San Francisco kind of plays and what we saw them do to this team. But on the other hand, they were not playing especially assignment correct as it was. So I don't really know why Shaquem got the short end on that. Yeah, Jeff, one of my assumptions is that the 49ers are a heavy rushing team and Shaquem is not a guy that, that they, uh, feel can hold up in the run game um he did play in the first game against the 49ers though. that was the first game he played he, he split snaps with Ansa. so you have any thoughts about why that was kind of my first thought but there were some third and longs where you could have used him and but pete P, P got asked this today his answer was and again whenever pete says something we gotta take a step back and see if he's bullshitting so he said that the niners weren't in situations that warranted nickel looks very often and he's a nickel rusher I don't know if that's real or not, but there was definitely like a third and 12 early and Clowney jumped offside and there were some third and longs that they had early in the game for sure, but they couldn't get off the field, which is where you want a speed rusher like Shaq in the game. So I can't, the second half, I don't really remember a lot of long drives. I remember just San Francisco scoring in like three plays every time they had the ball. So maybe they want to get him in, in certain situations. The game just didn't dictate it because how many drives did they have in the second half that either were a three and out or that the ball just, or they scored in like four plays. So it might've just been a fluke. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about this defense for a second. (laughs) So 
I we think we're all in agreement that this defense is really bad. Yes? Especially in the current state. It's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, okay. So did you have something to say there, Jeff? Well, there. the worst part about them is how – in the last month, how wide open, how much separation opponents are getting against them. Guys are just, they have plays where just CX defenders are nowhere near them. And that's happening way, it happened in the Rams game. Then Kyle Shanahan was just toying with them, it felt like at times. If they don't get that penalty at the end of the game, that 15 yard penalty that was kind of hokey, they probably never even get the ball back. It's just anytime the Seahawks needed a stop in that game, they'd go down the field and score in four seconds. So, it's pretty alarming how wide open the opposition has been against them pretty consistently since Diggs went out. Um, yeah, I guess the, the question there is, assuming that we all agree that they're bad, which sounds like you guys do, you know, if Diggs is back, are they still terrible? Are they – how much of a difference can he make for this defense? I mean, we had this conversation going, what was it, coming out of the Bucks game and going into the Niners game. And that Niners game, they looked good. And they continued to look competent, at least, not terrible, while he was in. And he goes out again and suddenly looked really awful again. I mean, it, it can't just be all him, and it's, it's not all him, but, like, we have definitely been in this position before where we're all sitting around saying, yeah, they're terrible. And then Diggs steps in and they look a lot different. So I, I think it's possible that he makes a, a really major impact if he can go in this game. And it's not just him, right? His two replacements at free safety this year have been right. Edric and Leno. And I've said this so many times on our show, one weak link on a defense, one like when the Eagles played the Patriots in the Super Bowl, Malcolm Butler didn't play that game. The Patriots were a pretty okay defense. Taking him out of the game completely took apart that whole defense. Nick Foles tore apart them. Just one removing one bad, good player and placing a bad player in his spot. Putting Diggs and then Delano Hill and Tedrick Thompson, probably two of the worst players in the whole NFL this year. That changes a lot. Yeah, I guess I want to believe that. Um, I, I also feel like we're probably overestimating how much of a difference he can make to the defense. Um, I mean, we, we definitely, we, we saw the Rams game and Diggs played in that, played the full game and he, he played all right. Uh, the defense didn't, they got shredded. I, I don't think this defense is completely, completely different with Diggs um, to the point where they are like the defense we saw in the 49ers and Eagles game. I, 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 I have a hard time believing that that's, that's going to solve Bobby Wagner getting run by, you know, uh, by tight ends or that it's going to solve Cody Barton having problems making tackles, you know, on running backs or, you know, what I do think is at least a question is, does he help coverage enough that it is part of the reason the pass rush looked better for those couple of weeks. I think that's a fair question. Um, I think Trey flowers played his best games when Diggs was in the lineup. I think that's fair. Um, but I guess to me, it comes down to 
I, it's hard for me to imagine that the the Seahawks defense playing as well as it did the last time they played the Eagles in this game, just because Diggs is back. I, I'm not there, even though they didn't have Clowney in that game. I I just don't know that Clowney even is a guy like, are we sure that Clowney is better than the guys behind him right now, given where he is injury wise? Nope. He looked like a total non-factor playing off that core injury. So I don't think we know. I don't think we have a clue what he is at this point. And that's the that's kind of what you were saying before that Diggs played in that Rams game. But really, if you take Clowney off this team, who doesn't have a good pass rush even with him at the best of times, now they got no pass rush at all. And you combine that with bad tackling and a weak secondary. So they're bad at all three levels, essentially. So it's pretty understandable why their defense is playing so bad. They're not. They're not strong at any of the three levels. Evan, welcome to the show. Uh, you know, it's nice of you to show up. We appreciate your uh, making time for us tonight. <laughs> Anything for you guys. All right, good, good. Um, we were just kind of talking about this defense, which we all agree is probably the best defense in the playoffs. Would you, would you agree with that? <laughs> you're, you're, you're referring to Seattle's defense. Yes. Oh yeah, easily uh, the most intimidating, formidable. Uh, really puts the test to the Legion of Boom. That's for sure. Yeah. So you know, I'm curious how you you know we, we've talked about Quandre Diggs hopefully coming back this week. It looks like he's going to. Um, the Seahawks didn't have Jadavian Clowney in the first game against the Eagles. Sure. They actually dominated the Eagles offensive, like on on defense. Do you expect the Seahawks defense to play like that against the Eagles this week? Um, there's a very specific concern I have about the defense actually. And I initially wasn't concerned about it, but I am now, um, the Michael Kendricks injury. So at, I think at the time and probably many fans currently still think that's probably not a big injury, but when you look at the matchup that the Seahawks have going against those Eagles receivers. Yes, they have no receivers whatsoever, but the Eagles actually have some pretty good tight ends, good, good tight ends and Zach Ertz and um, uh, David. Uh, it's like, it starts with a G or something. He's a really solid um, number two tight end that they have. Um, when it comes to Seattle playing like a four, three base and putting their linebackers in coverage and relying on those linebackers to line up against those tight ends, um, I'm a bit worried. I'm a bit worried that Carson Wentz could have a, I know his offensive line is completely, you know, decimated by injuries and everybody's hurting, but I still have PTSD from the past few years of the Seahawks defense, even during the Legion of boom, you know, high days of struggling with, with tight ends. That's something that like a Pete Carroll defense has always historically struggled with. And whenever I see a roster with good tight ends, like, Zach Ertz, who's probably like a top five tight end in the NFL. Um, I get nervous. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Well, would it make you feel better if Zach Ertz doesn't play in this game, which he's probably not going to. Does he have an injury? Oh yeah. He missed the last game with a broken rib and what is reported to be a lacerated kidney. And <laughs> Okay. So I just went on a five minute rant for nothing. <laughs> um, well, I mean, but they're saying he's a maybe, but it, it, it seems pretty unlikely that he's going to be able to make it. Okay. So I'm looking. Okay. So his, okay. So Dallas 
I don't know how to say Goddard. 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 Yeah. Those two tight ends combined for 150 catches in 1500 receiving yards this year and 12 touchdowns. So that's nothing to scoff at. Yeah. I mean, Nathan, how big of a, how much should Seahawks fans be concerned about Michael Kendricks being out and Cody Barton stepping in? Uh, <laughs> I don't really know, to be honest, like Kendricks has not impressed me that much this year, but neither has Barton. Um, <laughs> Kendricks has played well at times too. So like, I, I don't know. It, it, my gut says it's not going to be a big deal. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a big spot for a rookie to step into and all that, but I, I'm not particularly concerned about it. Like to me, it's more about what are you getting out of Clowney? What are you getting out of Diggs? You know, that kind of thing. Kendricks is, you know, way down the list for me on that, in that regard. Do any of you guys think that, I mean, Jeff, I'll start with you. Do you, any of you think that they'll play more nickel defense now that Kendricks is out? That was my first hope, but there's no chance. Uh, Pete keeps going to this base thing. And even though every evidence and every indication is it's working out terribly, he keeps going to it. And they don't seem to be riding a lot of Ugo Amadi or Kim King. So, and the Eagles are a team who are going to go three wide very often. They're going to go more two tight end, which is, Evan was saying before, more of a base look. So in this matchup, I don't think there's – I think they should do that, but I don't think there's any chance they do. Uh, Nathan, do you have any different point of view there? No. I, they've shown us what they want to do this year. I don't know why they would change at this point. Yeah, I mean, we saw them go without Michael Kendricks for a few weeks, and it didn't really affect their their use of the base defense. Um, Akeem King played. That was his first game. We were all hoping it was going to be Ugo Mahdi in that first game against Eagle. Akeem King got all the snaps at nickel, partially because of their heavy reliance on the tight ends. I am curious if Ertz doesn't play whether we see a little bit of a different defensive approach this game um, that might involve a smaller nickel. Um, and you've got guys like Greg Ward, who, you know, was like, he's a little bit more of a scat kind of slot receiver than, than uh, these other guys. Could he warrant a, a change there? But, you know, I just looked at, I, I, the, the, the Eagles have played better on offense the past few games. And there's a lot of people saying the Eagles are peaking at the right time. You know, they're, they're really playing well. Do you guys want to guess the ranks of the defense? Like the, the, what's the, what do you think the highest rank defense is that the Eagles have played since they played the Seahawks? Is it Probably Dallas 10th rank defense, 15th. I was going to say 15th. I would say like 19th. Yeah, you're right there, Jeff. The Washington oh, yeah. Redskins have the 19th ranked defense. That is the best defense the Eagles have played. Since they played the Seahawks, they played the 32nd ranked defense in the Dolphins, the 25th ranked defense twice in the Giants, the 19th ranked defense in the Redskins, and the 22nd ranked defense in the Cowboys. Um, for those wondering, as bad as we all feel about the Seahawks defense, it ranks 17th in defensive efficiency. So <laughs> Well, and there's 15 defenses worse than Seattle. Yeah. I mean, when you go for opponent adjustment and, you know, even 
That's scary. Even as frustrated as we are and how much how down we are about the Seahawks defense, they held the 49ers to 26 points in that game, and the 49ers are playing pretty well. They scored, what, 48 against the Saints defense? So, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it is a little – it's questionable. And when I look – I also looked up over those games – who is the leader in receptions and receiving yards for the Eagles? It's Dallas Goddard with 27 receptions for 318 yards. The next is Miles Sanders with 23 catches for 172 yards. Then Boston Scott with another 23 catches for 100. So basically tight end, running back, running back. And then it's Greg Ward with 22 catches. And then it's Zach Ertz with 21. Zach Ertz, if he doesn't play, the next guy is Joshua Perkins, their tight end with nine. So, I mean, it really drops off there. You're basically talking about two running backs, one of which has an ankle injury in Miles Sanders, a pretty serious one. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Dallas Goddard, Boston Scott, and Greg Ward. Like, it, are you guys like, are you guys buying that this Eagles offense is like coming in hot and that the Seahawks are in trouble there? No. And I apologize if you guys have already talked or, you know, talked about it on the show, but my fear is not the Eagles offense. My fear is what the Seahawks do on offense this game. That's the matchup I'm concerned about. We all have PTSD from, um, you know, the Dallas wildcard game where Seattle basically overcommitted to running the ball. Philly actually has a, uh, like, I think, I think it's like a top six or seven, uh, run defense per per DVOA in their passing defense is very middle of the pack. So if Seattle, every we all know Seattle's going to attempt to establish the run and control the clock and play all that fun people stuff. But the, their ability to adjust at halftime if it's not working, um, transition to the short passing game, give Russell more reps. That is my concern for Sunday. And I know that really wasn't your question, Brian, but. My concern, my matchup concern is the Seahawks offense and what they choose to do against this defense. Yeah, well, let's, let's definitely come back to that. I, I want to stick with for a second. I mean, this Eagles offense, Nathan, where are you, where are you on this Eagles offense? Uh, it's really bad. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know why it will be any different than what we saw from them last time around. Um, especially without Ertz and yeah, I mean, they're running out, you know, Greg Ward, who was, you know, a really fun quarterback at Houston who could, you know, scramble around and do some stuff, but like it's a wide receiver and like, uh, yeah, no, this is, this is probably the second least scary offense they've had to play. Like who, who scares you less? Like the Bengals? Uh, well, they did okay. I mean, they scored 19 points. <laughs> it was there were other most of them were Tedrick related. Yeah, uh, like really, like what other offenses have they played that are worse or less intimidating than this one? I, I, don't, I don't think they have faced many, if any, and especially I mean, the Earth thing is a big deal. I think Wentz played really poorly in that game. Um, so I, I do think it's reasonable to expect Wentz will play better, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I guess 
I just have trouble seeing it. I have trouble respecting their weapons. And I think about like last year when the CX went to the playoffs and they were going against the Cowboys, that offense was a lot more intimidating to me than, than what they're going to face this week against the Eagles. And, you know, I, I am kind of curious, Evan, uh, this is for all you guys, but I know the last year's playoff game broke you um, when how the Seahawks faced the uh, Cowboys. Do you have concern? Like when you're talking about kind of stuff, do you have concern for, for how the Seahawks are going to approach this game um, in a way that you did last year against uh, the Cowboys? Approaching the Dallas game or, or in hindsight? Well, I guess my question is the Seahawks came in with a really stubborn pig headed game plan and stuck with it. They were leading mm-hmm. into the fourth quarter, but they ended up losing anyway. Um, and it, it drove almost all Seahawks fans crazy. Are you concerned that something like that could happen again? Is that, is that something that you're worried about going into this game? I'm yes. And I'm going to tell you why. Do you guys remember Pete Carroll's comments after the Dallas playoff game? Do you guys remember them? What that they should have run more? Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember the specific quote, but do you remember that being the takeaway? Because yeah. it was something like that. And I, I, I mean, I hate to talk about it, but like, I don't think that game taught them anything. Um, people is people. Uh, if this team can't establish the, can't establish their run game, you know, they're probably going to force it more than they should. Um, I don't know why they wait till the second half to make these adjustments. I don't know why they can't just take a timeout and transition to the short passing game. Like they did coming out of the second half or coming out of the first half. Um, yeah, it's not a great answer for you, but I absolutely am concerned. Jeff, how about you? If Chris Carson was healthy or Penny even, I would be a little more concerned. I think that the only blessing kind of in disguise is that they can't really run that offense anymore. And I think Marshawn's topping out at like 12, 13 carries. And Homer's not really a fit for that kind of style. So normally I would totally agree with Evan, but I think this scenario that has unfolded, they'll still probably use Marshawn in some unfavorable situations like they did last game in the first half, which was kind of annoying where, again, I keep saying it, but him being on the field kind of dictates what they're going to do. That's why I like how they used Homer. I thought that was my almost most encouraging sign because they play the offense that all four of us want them to play, which is more up-tempo, which is more pass-heavy, which is more quick, fast-moving tempo. Homer's perfect for that, and I think he was their best back last game. I think it was pretty clear, and I'm hoping that they take away – there's a clear way to play with him and try to maximize him versus Marshawn because if they had Carson still, I would totally think that they're going to do that stupid game plan from last year. Totally agree. I think that's a really great point, um, uh, Jeff, about Travis Homer. In some ways he actually reminds me a little bit of Miles Sanders, um, similar kind of players in terms of speed. And I do think that the Seahawks are less likely to just run Homer over and over and over again. I think Pete even knows Homer runs hard every, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine him lasting many games as a featured back as hard as he runs and throws himself into contact. Where, hold up. I have to stop on that for a second. Where is this coming from? I've heard this from like multiple people that people don't think Travis Homer, his body can't take like 25, 30 carries a game. What was this coming from? Like genuinely, is this a college durability issue? What, what's the background to this? 
it's just body size. I mean, the guy weighs like 200 pounds. He's, he's not thick and he, he just does not look like he has a body type to handle that kind of punishment. Um, and he, he does not, he does not avoid contact. He welcomes it. And so, you know, maybe it'll be, he'll be the rare breed, but, but he does not seem like a guy that, that can carry the ball 20, 25 times a game and, and handle that kind of pounding. I don't think there's any actual, like, I mean, people say this thing a lot about smaller backs, but I don't know that there's any evidence for it. Like that, you know, a difference of 20 pounds is suddenly going to make somebody less likely to get worn down by NFL games. I, I don't know. I, I don't think it makes a big difference, but it's certainly a, a stigma with smaller backs and that coaches buy into it. So I don't know if he'll ever get the chance to be that guy, but I don't know that there's much reason to think that he couldn't be. Yeah, I guess, I guess we'll see. Um, I, you know, I, he's, <laughs> it's definitely different body types that handle different things. Uh, CJ Procise is like 25 pounds heavier and he got injured plenty. So it, it's not like that there's that weight is just like the only thing that matters. It's how it's distributed and, and just, you know, your overall body health and, and those things and how you take on the tackles. But yeah, in any event, I, I didn't, I didn't see the Seahawks running Homer directly into the line of scrimmage the way that they did with Carson. Um, to Jeff's point, I thought they seemed to run a little bit of a different offense in terms of the types of runs that they called. There's a lot, there's a more to the outside. Um, and there was definitely a lot more leaking out of the running back into, um, into the flat for passes that they were doing that they didn't do as much in those games. So I think there is reason to be hopeful that Homer being in there could actually drive the Seahawks to be a little less pigheaded about, you know, running the ball although if you look at the play calling in that game they ran the ball a ton on neutral script situations against the 49ers so you know i think that changed a little in the second half when they fell behind but um so i don't know i it's an interesting it's an interesting point if nothing else and uh you know i, I am curious about how that'll play out so where are you guys at on the biggest factor in determining whether the Seahawks win this game or not? What's, what's kind of, when you think about this game, what is the thing that you're like, if this goes right, the Seahawks are in really good shape. If it goes wrong, the Seahawks are in trouble. Jeff, why don't we start with you? It's pretty simple and it's probably too basic, but to me, it's Russell Wilson and not like, what I mean is I think just Russell is by far the best player on the field. I think when he's going, the Seahawks, their best chance of win and winning is when Russell's playing at the dominant MVP level. And when they were first nine games or they were eight and two. And I said, almost like at the point of that point, like defense almost didn't matter to me because Russell was playing so well. And Russell is just so far advanced to me than Carson Wentz. And if he's playing at that level and that comes back to the coaching staff too, putting him in situations to excel. And we talked about Evan just mentioned the quick passing game and not beating your head against the wall with runs, putting the game on Russell Wilson's back. And if that goes right, I think the Seahawks will definitely win. I think give them their best chance of winning. And if it doesn't, then it's hard to imagine the other areas of the team carrying the Seahawks right now because they're mostly pretty bad. So it's simple, but I'm going to go with Russ. Evan or Nathan, do you have any, any other items other than Russ that, that jumped to mind for you as key factors in this game? 
Yeah, I think the offensive line play has been super inconsistent this year. Obviously, Dwayne Brown is injured, and it doesn't look like he's going to play. I think Pete Carroll said it would be miraculous if he came back to play on Sunday, so I think it's wise not to expect that. But George Fan actually played decently well in the second half against uh, the 49ers. So if George Fant can hang in there at left tackle – the rest of of the line can put together some decent pass pro and we know they're pretty good in in run blocking then yeah i don't i don't see this eagles i don't see this eagles defense having a chance because their pass defense is not that great and if you give russell the time he will make you hurt he missed several very easy touchdowns well i guess not several dk metcalf missed a wide open touchdown and then russell missed a wide open touchdown last game so i think in hindsight um if those two players hadn't made those two mistakes we would have had a huge offensive performance against them so i think the key to the game like jeff said is our offense's game plan heading into this defense and whether our offensive line can give russell some breathing room nathan how about you yeah, I mean, both those are good. And then I'll just go back to Quandre Diggs again. If he's healthy and at full strength, I think that's a big difference maker. None of you named John or Sua. <laughs> Shocker. Did you guys see uh, Pete's comments? Maybe it was today or yesterday that was like, once it clicks, he's going to be an every down contributor for us. And I'm paraphrasing, but did you see that? I, I did. You know, I- I don't know if people really got it when he was saying earlier this week about Ursua that like he talked about what that he more than most guys is like a real rookie and needs to learn a bunch of stuff. And he was talking about splits and some stuff that was receiving related. And then he was like, and blocking assignments. And I was like, Oh God, it clicked for me. I was like, that's it. Like he, <laughs> he has not shown he can be a good run blocker. And that is <laughs> John Ursua is playing less than like Jerron Brown, for example. And if if Seahawks fans really, if that if it comes out and they really absorb that to being true, it will just be one more reason that folks are really, really frustrated with Pete Carroll. And for good reason. I mean, Ursua, everyone loves my my uh my John Ursua meme, but I mean, I think Jordan Sue is a good, good player. I think he could be a contributor. Um, I think he certainly could be more of a contributor than John Brown, Jerron Brown was. And, and uh, man, I, I like the idea of if they're going to have more of these short passing, like get him more involved, but oh man, it's, uh, it's, it's a little scary if, if he's going to actually play behind a guy that's a worse receiver because he can't run block. It shows what this team prioritizes. Like we've talked about it with the offensive line. Like they care about run blocking, not just for the O-line, but for receivers too. It's why they love Jermaine Curse so much. Of course he made big plays, but it's central to what they want to do, you know, with their identity on offense. That's one thing clear. Jokes aside, do any of you think that Ursua earned more reps this week? Do you think that he could actually be a factor in this game? How many snaps did he end up playing? I, I recall seeing him out there very little for most of the game. I will tell you in a second. I'm also raising to see that. My, my instinct is no, I don't know that he's necessarily earned any. I mean, not based off that one game. I mean, he had one catch and 
Like I said, I don't think he actually got out on the field much until um, later on. And so I, I don't think there's anything about that game where you're like, ah, oh, John Asuba. Um, John Ursua got seven snaps, Nathan. Yeah, so <laughs> maybe, maybe he's not quite there. Anyone feel differently? Anyone feel like he has earned more snaps? I don't know if earned is the right word. I don't know if he's done other than that one fourth down catch. I don't know if that – but I would like to see him, if they're going to do the quick passing game, he is a guy who can quickly separate from the slot and there are routes that you can see him winning. And there are routes that David Moore is good at and they keep, they are at times pigeonhole him into those deep balls still. And if I would much rather see like a quick pass to Ursua than a one-on-one deep ball to Moore, who hasn't won that route all year. So I don't know if he's earned more routes, but there's, if they're going to go with that kind of offense, there's definitely a role for him because that's his game. Well, I mean, Malik Turner is still recovering from concussion, and there's question about whether he's going to be back. I mean, I, I think he will be. But if he doesn't play and Jerome Brown doesn't play, I don't see how John Ursua doesn't see more snaps. I mean, who else do you have? you got Tyler Lockett, D, Taylor, Ty Lockett, DK Metcalf, um, David Moore, who, by the way, played a nice game um, against the 49ers in all. Didn't he only have, like, one or two catches? I guess he was one of good. the highest rated players by Pro Football Focus in that game. John Ursua has earned more snaps because he had one catch, but David Moore had a bad game because he only had one or two catches. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Seahawks Twitter. That is Evan in a nutshell right there. <laughs> uh, the expectations I mean, I wanna, are... <laughs> I want to be clear. I would love to see Ursua get more snaps. I would love to see what he can do, and I would love to see them go to like a quick passing game and then suddenly be a different football team coached by a different football coach. Uh, or at least one that, you know, a ch- sudden change of off- offensive philosophy. That's just not going to happen. And I don't think that anything that we've seen in his seven snaps, you know, on Sunday changes that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, the other question I had for you guys, there's a guy that's going to be missing from this game. Another one that we've, we've had some fun with over the years. Rashad Penny had 129 yards in that first game and was a key reason why they were able to win. He's not here. Chris Carson's not here. Um, the running game was a, a meaningful factor in that game. How much of an impact do you think that's going to be on Sunday? Yes. I love that we just and? get now every time you ask a running back question. <laughs> I mean, am I nervous that Rashad Penny is gone and he's not going to be a factor? Yes, but... I would counteract this by saying like Travis Homer has looked pretty good. Like I know it's only been two games, but Travis Homer is looking better than I think we expected. Like my hot take is Marshawn Lynch shouldn't get another carry as long as Travis Homer is healthy. I know they do sort of different things like mm-hmm. short yardage, like goal line and Travis Homer is a little smaller and in space and shifty and whatever, but I think Travis Homer is far more explosive. Obviously, the younger back, um, you saw Lynch kind of hyping him up on the sidelines um, in the sound FX after the game. But, yeah, I mean, Rashad Penny and Chris Carson, I, I think there's something to be said for being able to 
run like attack an opponent's weakness or an attack an opponent's strength and still dominate them at it. So they have a really good run defense. The Eagles do. If the Seahawks were able to, you know, have a productive and efficient, uh, you know, running game on Sunday, of course that would help them. Do I think it's likely? Probably not. I think I, I think the gap between Travis Homer and Rashad Penny is actually pretty significant. Well, and I'm looking right now at, at the the Eagles linebackers, and they're not good. I remember this from the first matchup. They're really bad. Um, their best rated linebacker in pro football focus that has played meaningful snaps is um, uh, sorry, I think it's Nigel Bradham. And he was like a 64.7 overall grade and 46.5 against the run. Um, You know, there are other linebackers that have gotten significant snaps. Uh, uh, Nathan Gary, uh, 59.5 grade, um, 45.5 tackler. Uh, They've got a lot of like challenging players at running back who um, I think if I have a chance, I can look up on football outsiders, but I would bet that they have trouble defending running backs as receivers um, catching the ball. And I think that Travis Homer could be a nice factor in, the, in that way. So I'll take a look at that. But um, why don't we go around for a second? We'll talk about predictions and we'll, we generally end up with some other things that we want to talk about as we do that. But Jeff, where are you at on this game? What do you expect the outcome to be? I do think the Seahawks should win this game. I think, the one, like the benefit, the one benefit of them losing this game is the Seahawks have a clear weakness. It's their defense, especially their defense covering right now. Just how slow they are. They're, they can't generate pass rush. They can't. Their linebacker play has been really bad in coverage, and I think playing against the worst offense in the playoffs just gives me hope that the Seahawks should win this game. Um, I think the offense did. I think there's stuff that they can take from that last game. I'm hoping I'm not just overestimating that second half. Maybe it was because they were down 13, nothing. And it felt like bigger that they went to that offense. But I just think this is a game where the Seahawks actually do match up favorably and given all their opponents, they could have got, which could have been the Vikings. Or if you had to play the saints, for example, I think this is just the best possible matchup for them. And it's one, I think, especially with Diggs coming back, and George Fant, as Evan mentioned, that was a big deal. He played pretty solid last game and a big difference from Jamarco Jones the week before. So everything we've mentioned, I think they should pull it out. I think it's going to be close and frustrating and annoying. But I do I do feel pretty good going into this game. If I told you right now that the Eagles scored, let's say they scored 20 points on offense on Sunday, do the Seahawks win that game? Yeah. yeah, pretty comfortably. Okay, interesting. Well, why don't you follow up that with what your your current prediction is for the game? And Jeff, did you have a score prediction? I didn't hear. Oh no, you said you were just asked how we were feeling. Yeah. Um, I'll make a score. I'll say twenty-seven to twenty-three. Okay. Uh, I'll go. I'll go twenty-seven seventeen. A blowout? Uh, does that? I guess that counts as a blowout. In Seattle, Seattle sure does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Holy I can't remember the last time we won by ten plus points. That's why. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> so you, you're picking Seattle to win twenty-seven seventeen, just to be clear. 
Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Nathan, how about you? Going uh, 2013. Uh, Seahawks. Seahawks. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I um, I think the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks should win like 28-21, something like that, um, in this game. Um, and maybe 28-24. Like, I, I could see the Eagles scoring some points because our defense is just atrocious, but um, their offense is pretty bad, too. I, I just am not a believer in their offense. And more than anything else, like, I, I thought Russ looked like he was locked in this, the second half last week. He just – he he was, he was the Russ that we've seen. And I, I feel like if he can play like that, the Seahawks absolutely should be able to beat the Eagles. My next question, since we're all predicting a win, is, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, guys. Obviously, I will be bummed if they lose. But I don't know that I really, like, a huge thing to admit. I don't know that I care that much. Like, I cared more about the 49ers game than I did about this one. I told you guys that going in. Like, more because I felt like there's a lot on the line. Talk me into why I should care a lot about whether the Seahawks beat the Eagles or not. Well, I'll, I'll reverse this. I, I I think I know why you don't care. And and let me take a guess and tell me if I'm wrong. You don't think this is a good football team. <laughs> Do you? You don't think this is a good – like just this is a very simple question. Is this a good football team? Yes or no? Um... Is – are not is yes, are the Seattle football team? Are they a great football team? No. No. What are your what are what are your expectations, Brian, for a good football team's playoffs hopes? Like, what's a, what's a good playoff like journey for a good football team? Like neutral situation? Is it a I, playoff? My mind play? doesn't work like that. My mind is is you know can you win a Super Bowl? Everything is about a Super Bowl as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Well, here's and... the thing, Brian. You don't win many Super Bowls by losing playoff games. <laughs> wrong. You know, Nathan, that actually helps a lot. I, mean, I, I now have clarified my points of view. So, no, I, I just – I look at the field. I think that, interestingly, like, I actually think the Seahawks could beat the 49ers should they play them next week. I do. Um, and – maybe, you know, maybe I could see them beating the saints or something. Um, like the only team in the, in the, the only teams in the NFC that I really struggle to see the Seahawks beating is really the saints. Like, I think that's the one like on the road, that's the one I have the hardest time seeing. So I should be more bought in. I think the challenge for me is I just have a hard time seeing this team put enough good football together for three straight games to make the Super Bowl. So your concern is consistency. Yeah, that they just have so many holes that it's just going to be hard for them not to get exposed. Over I'm surprised. Three games. I'm surprised you would call them a good football team then if they're so wildly inconsistent. Well, they're 11 and five and they beat, they had the hardest schedule in the NFL and 11 and five with a negative point differential on the season. Let's be clear here. Like that's one, that is one stat, but the fact is that guess what? It is like measure of a team is how many wins you have. Like that is ultimately what determines whether you're a good team or not. Where do they finish in DVOA? Top 10, I think eight, 
that's kind of what they are. But they're good because they have all-world quarterback. They're not a great team. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know that there was pushback when I said that this was a really good team, but like, and I've definitely soured on them since I was beating that drum. I mean, they've had a rough few weeks for sure. But like, one thing I don't think we appreciate is just how bad some of the other teams are. Like, Philly's a playoff team, right? Like, Minnesota is a playoff team, and that's a team that Seattle handled fairly well. Like, yep. you know, there are very few just dominant football teams out there. Sure. Like, is there – like, uh, who does everyone think is going to win the NFC? Like, I, I think it's – I think the Ravens are the clear favorite, right? I mean, you can say Patriots because Patriots always do it. But I think the Ravens – We're talking AFC? Favorite. I like the Chiefs. And the NFC, like, who is even the clear favorite? I think the Saints I, are the best team. But, like, by how much? Because you spent most of the year saying the, the Niners were the best team. Yeah, and and from a talent perspective, I do believe the Niners are the most talented team in the NFL. Um, I there's just something about the Saints team that I I I like. I, I just think is ultimately gonna to win out. But if it was the Saints or 49ers, that would not be a surprise. If it was anyone other than the Saints or 49ers, that would be a surprise. And by the way, I've got. Ravens and Chiefs is much more likely to come out of the AFC than the Patriots. I think the Patriots – I know everyone gets caught on this every year, but I do not think the Patriots look like a team that can make it to the Super Bowl. Would you guys be surprised if they lost to the Titans? No, I was going to say they might lose this weekend. They it's might. a bad matchup for them. I think they're going to win that game. This, this New England team is different. They're not, that, they're not very good. Even that defense well, – it's their offense that is really yeah. the, the flaw of their team. Well, so, I mean, Nathan, what's your point, I guess? Where, where, where are you on the Seahawks team? Are you, do you think the Seahawks have a legitimate, legitimate oh, yeah. Super Bowl aspiration? They have a legitimate chance to win the Super Bowl. This is, this is why the Super Bowl is dumb. Like, not that it's dumb, but, like, making that your be-all, end-all, like, Look, we've talked, me and you have talked about like Andy Reid, and I, I have a very high opinion of Andy Reid, and you have a slightly lower opinion because he hasn't won a Super Bowl. But like, and stupid crap happens in the playoff all the time. It's single elimination, it's three games, right? Or, yeah, three games or four games, right? Three games depending or four on, games. Depending on where you're seated, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, and anything can happen, right? Like, Sean Payton has probably deserves to have another ring, or maybe two rings, but the dumbest things have happened to him at the end of these games the last few years. Right. And so, you know, uh, you get in, you roll the dice, you see what happens. This team is better than Philly They're They beat Minnesota. They've beat the Niners. Right. So like, there's no reason to think, and, and this is a dumbass team that went like 10 and two or something like that. Like, you know, uh, yeah, they can get hot and win a few games in a row. I, there's no doubt. You know what the one silver lining is to the loss against the 49ers? And, I, and, I, and I'm going to give you guys reason to hope here. If the Seahawks beat the Eagles and go on to play the 49ers in the divisional round. Um, beating any NFL team, let, it, let alone like a really good NFL team, like the 49ers, three times in one year, almost impossible. Almost impossible. But the Seahawks lost to them. I'm just saying... I actually prefer I, – I, I feel more hopeful 
in a rematch that they lost the second time. <laughs> the team that wins the first two games typically wins the third game. Yeah. Uh, eh. No, no, like go, eh. about it. Go add the numbers up. Go, go do do your W's and your L's. So you're telling me, you're telling me, if the Seahawks beat the 49ers and you know and got to that extra inch, you're telling me that the Seahawks would likely beat this beat the 49ers in Santa Clara. It doesn't work that way. I'm just saying most of the time when a team wins the first two, that's typically because they're the better team or they at least match up better. Right. Like I would normally agree, but divisional rounds add like an element of random, an additional element of randomness to this. The only time that you have that is the third is, well, it could be anywhere in the playoffs, right? You only have a team playing each other three times if they both make the playoffs. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so, it's, Nate, it's, I mean, Evan, are you saying that you feel like if the Seahawks beat the Eagles, you feel really good about the chances to beat the 49ers? Is that what I you're I think if the Seahawks beat the Eagles and they match up against the 49ers in Santa Clara, I'd say there's about a 50% chance they beat them. And, and maybe that's much lower than you thought I was going to say, but I think they have a real shot to beat them, especially especially if Dwayne Brown is back. Nathan, I see you asking these questions about Kittle. I never said George Kittle isn't special. That's you ridiculous. Did. You did. That is not what I said. <laughs> I have said he's yeah. That is not what I said. I said that he does not impress me. I don't know. I don't really get it. Well, that's I did say that. Like I, I think he's a guy that breaks tackles and makes catches. I don't see him as a guy that's like a game breaker. And I don't think he broke the game against the Seahawks last week. By the way, he did a lot more than just break tackles. I don't think he broke the game. I don't think he did anything in that game that makes me think that he was the difference in why the Seahawks beat them in the first game and why they lost to him in this game. Nothing's changed my opinion there. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the biggest reason for them last week was Kyle Shanahan. I thought he was toying with the Seahawks. I think Kittle is a big part of what lets him toy with the Seahawks and create the space for the other players. Fair. Totally fair. Debo was really good too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then Evan, you're basically at, you kind of think that the Seahawks are probably going to the NFC championship. That's kind of where not, not probably, but I, I could potentially maybe. Is there any part of you that doesn't want to witness that because, or, or, or that potential just because of the torture that this team puts you through on a weekly basis? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like my emotional health is like, fuck this football team. Fuck this sport. You need to stop like caring so much and actually do something productive with your life. Make like a garden or something in the desert, do something, but stop watching this football team because it hurts your health. There, I will admit there's part of me that like. But is part of you looking for like the peace of a Sunday with nothing going on I, or I, watching I, football without your team? I, I have to admit part of it is it is really hard for me to watch a team week in, week out that plays terrible defense. Like mm. that is really hard for me to watch like and go into every game feeling like, yep, they're not going to be able to cover. Yep, they're not going to be able to tackle. Yep, they're not going to be able to rush the passer. This should be fun. 
Um, so basically, you're very thankful Tedrick Thompson wasn't healthy for 16 games. <laughs> yeah, I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> I'm thankful that, I mean, gosh, I wish, you know, I wish Lano Hill had a, a, a hangnail or something that kept him out so that Marquise Blair <laughs> could have played some more. Like, I don't wish anything seriously harmful, but I like the Marquise Blair thing breaks me. Like, it is. There is nothing Marquise Blair could do that would earn him the start, starting spot on Sunday. Apparently. Nothing. I mean, it's, Nothing. it's so crazy to me that he he's created turnovers, which it's all about the ball, apparently, right? That's the How rule. It's all about the ball, except when it's not, because the guy that creates the turnovers sits on the bench, while the guy that's never created a turnover in Lano Hill plays. <laughs> this is upsetting. And, you know, I want to talk about this for a second. Experience is overrated. And I, and I truly believe that like, I, I, I don't even think this is so much like a football lesson. I think this is just like a, a life lesson. I think this translates to many different examples, many different situations outside of football. You could say the business world, like there are so many people out there who have a ton of experience, but are mediocre or even bad experience does not equal good things. It does not equal good results. Oftentimes the younger people are more talented or more productive because they're hungrier. They haven't proven themselves. Pete Carroll, Marquise Blair is a playmaker and he can tackle better and he's better in coverage than Delano Hill and Tedrick Thompson and every other free safety you're thinking of potentially bringing in for a workout. Stop the games, stop the shenanigans, use your high second round pick, put him in at free safety. This is why you drafted him. Stop with the bullshit. You can't get Aegis and then drop shenanigans in your rail. <laughs> Calm down, Boomer. <laughs> oh, man. And the, the worst part of that, too, is that Pete's, like, one of his, like, philosophy things and kind of what we've said for years that a lot of the stuff he says is bullshit. How many times has he talked about, like, oh, I learned that at USC, the value of playing young players, and I'm the guy who plays young players. And that was a big deal when it happened where he played KJ Wright over, like, Aaron Curry back in the day and, that's a random reference, but anyway, um, that was his thing. And this team just doesn't have what I call like force players on defense. Like Clowney was at one point a force player. Diggs is a force player. Wagner this year has not been, and he usually is. Blair is a force player with his tackling, with his ability to cause fumbles. Uh, and this team just as a whole is pretty bad at tackling. And how many times have we heard about that fucking hawk tackling videos and all that shit, but they can't tackle at all. So – Oh, that's the stuff like when Pete says it, and I know we like to rip on his game management. It's obviously terrible, but that's the stuff where if you're going to rip on Pete, this is the area more than anything. He deserves to be crushed. And well, that's, yeah, I would argue, I would argue, Jeff, there's in this. I, I feel like this is a little bit of an under talked about storyline of this year. There have been some really wor- weird personnel decisions across the entire roster all year long. We can talk about Marquise Blair we can talk about Ugo Amada not seeing refs. We can talk about Jamarco Jones being far better than DJ Fluker in his two to three game stint, noticeably better, but immediately getting benched. We can talk about um, probably Malik Turner not getting more reps than Jerron Brown. I, I, I think there's Tedra Thompson continuing to start for like the first six games of the year, despite, you know, giving up major plays every single game i i I, think there's i agree with you on blair obviously i went off myself 
to start this thing. I have to admit, I, I've been banging the drum for Ugo Amadi. Sure. I don't know that he's looked that great when he's gotten reps, right? I, I don't think that that's proven to be absolutely mm -hmm. true. Um, that's that's fine. But then, but we can't dispute the Jamarco Jones one. Well, like I just to say, Cody Barton, we were kind of banging the drum for him. We thought there was something there. He's not looked so good. So I do think that we tend to focus on the one player where like it cannot be worse than the guy that's out there. And we all know that like we feel that way. There may be, I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me if Blair played. I mean, the games he started, the, the defense was at among its worst in terms of, I mean, that was the game they gave up over 500 yards to Atlanta and, you know, what's his way? Shab. Well, yeah, Shaw, but then they, he 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 started against Tampa too, and that game was in the forties or whatever. Yeah, so I, I do think that we have to acknowledge that there are some things that we probably don't see or don't understand as well as the coaches that are holding Blair back. But of course, God, Leno Hill's so bad; he takes such bad angles. I just I don't want to see him out there. I just don't want to see him out there. So, yeah, blah. That's what I got to say about it. Um, <laughs> any other, sorry, Jeff, did you have something you were going to say? No, no, you pretty much covered it. Um, Lano Hill is just a shit player. Um, <laughs> sorry, Lano, if you're listening to this, <laughs> he's not doing anything well. We're, we're being too hard on Hill. He is not very good, but he is not Tedrick. Like, he is, I a, don't know, he's close. <laughs> he's better than Tedrick. Like, he's just not making it. I mean, he's just a nothing out there, but like, he's not, I, I don't know. He's made, so, he's he had a 20 yard lead on Kenyon Drake and ended up 40 yards behind him. Like, yeah. he's so bad. That oh. angle he took was horrible. <laughs> he took a bad angle. And like, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you Hill is good or that he should be the starter next year or that he should even maybe be. I'm telling you, I could have made that tackle on Kenyon Drake right now. <laughs> you could have done Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, no, okay, I'm okay. telling you, if I am in that free safety spot, I guarantee you I am taking a better angle than him. I guarantee it. You could not tackle me in the open field. Ever. <laughs> I will bet. I, will bet nachos. I could take a better angle. You 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 solely examine the angle. I would take a better angle. I'm gonna bring. After we up. have margaritas yeah. and nachos <laughs> in an upcoming night. We're gonna head out to a field somewhere, and you're gonna try to tackle <laughs> me, and we're gonna see how that goes. I'm, I'm gonna lay down the boom. There are a few margaritas in. <laughs> <laughs> I promise uh, I will film it on my camera and share it on on YouTube or Twitter or whatever for everyone else to see. I'm very excited that you've managed to get your backdrop working now, Nathan. Is this on your phone? Still? There's like a HD toggle on my on the settings, so I changed that, and now it seems to work good. Oh, Evan, know. let's see you try to do it. Go to video settings. Video settings HD. We got it. We got it. If we can get your, you know, you guys have just uninspiring un backdrops. We've got to get that taken care of. Yes. Where um, is that? Nope. <laughs> No, <laughs> this is working out really well. This is working out. It's like a group. Well. Did you turn your HD settings on? Yes, sir. Oh, man. Where's that? That's disappointing. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, we were kind of talking about uh, the chances the Seahawks have. I mean, uh, Jeff, I don't think we heard from you. Do you, feel, do you feel like if the Seahawks beat the Eagles that it's a big deal? That's going to be meaningful for the, the team. 
those are two different questions. Um, do I think it's a big deal? Like, I don't know. Uh, not really. Like, this team's pretty bad for a playoff team. I think I'd be excited, obviously, because they haven't really won a playoff game since that Detroit one a couple years back. But, like, in terms of being more confident that they can win a Super Bowl, no, not really. But it's just the way – it's how they play. If they can play the sustainable way we think the offense should run, then, yeah, then it is a big deal. Was that Detroit game the most recent playoff win? Yep. And can't Chancellor knocked it out? No, no, no. That was a different – that was a – it was a – Thomas – Rawls like dominate on the ground or something. Huh. Okay. Interesting. It was a weird game. Like Doug Baldwin stole a touchdown in the end zone from Jermaine. And do you feel like you look back at that season? You're like, that was a great season when they beat Detroit in the playoffs. No, Russell no. got hurt the first game. That was a weird, that was a whole, that season was weird. Honestly, oh, that was that could- year. Got it. The only thing that could make this season, like that would make the playoffs meaningful to me, besides obviously winning a bunch, that's obvious. But if they were able to knock the 49ers out, then sign me up. Oh, Even that's if worth they were able to If they were able to knock the Packers out, that would be fun too. But I like. Just, I hate this so much. Like I, who cares about the, get the Niners out of your head. Stop worrying about them so much. Like. They have a chance to win playoff games, and you're like, well, maybe if they get to play the Niners again, I'll care. Like, no, like, <laughs> I, I I, don't know. To each their own, but I, I really despise that. <laughs> Says the man, like the 49ers fan in the corner of this chat with the he's, 49ers background. It's actually pretty funny. That's one of the Odd best graphics medical, ever. Medical equipment sales rep? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were the, it was his first game. They were talking about his resume. Here's the firewood cutter. Uh, Here's the thing, Nathan, to your, this is putting it back to you. It doesn't matter that it's quote a playoff game. They're playing the Eagles who are not a very good team. If the Seahawks had beaten the 49ers last week in a non-playoff game, a much, much, much better team than the Eagles. That to me is way more meaningful than beating the Eagles this week. That's what it's about. But it's not about, I mean, it's not about. But, but, but you're you're saying it's a playoff game; it matters more, and then you're saying the playoff games don't matter. If you win this one, you get to play another playoff game, and then if you okay. win that one, you get to play another playoff game, and then if you win that one, you get to play the Super Bowl. Like I'm under- I understand how it works. Okay. Uh-huh. How is it like? I I get it that it's not as exciting or whatever. Like that was definitely a more like marquee matchup last week, but like it's a playoff game. They have to win it or we don't get to see Seahawks football for like a year. Like, you know, no, Brian will deny it publicly. I know subconsciously he doesn't think this is a good football team. No, I truly believe that. No, no, no. Brian, Brian, I'm convinced of it. Uh, it's a subconscious thing. I'm convinced. No, it's not subconscious. It explains everything. <laughs> but none of that matters anymore. It doesn't matter how good or bad they are. It just matters if they win now. That's it. That's what I've been saying on the chat for a while. Like, there's been some weird freaking teams. And this kind of says what Nathan has been talking about before. There's been some weird teams to win the Super Bowl. Like, I don't know how much you guys remember, like, the Joe Flacco Ravens. I don't want to hang our hats on this. And, like, the Eli Manning Giants. Like, those teams were pretty bad going into the playoffs. Like they were not good at all. Like you would have listened to like the 2012, like giants version of real Hawk talk. Like they barely, they lost like Washington who was horrible in like week 16. Like 
if they get hot at the right time and they have the best quarterback potentially in the field in the NFC, I no, I mm-hmm. would say they do have the best quarterback in the NFC. They can beat anyone. They don't look mm-hmm. right. They're weird. They've had an sh- insanely stupid season. But I agree with Nathan. Uh, there's been some weird stuff happening. I know baseball playoffs, there's always like a ton of weird stuff. It's one game. Like the Seahawks had so much against their favor last week, and they probably should have won. Like Joe Fan tweeted out how bad their defensive grades were, and they still almost won. Like they can win any game because they have the best quarterback in the conference. Yeah, there's there's nothing, there's no hidden thing here, Evan. I've been pretty clear. I even just said I don't like that they have a defense that is terrible. I, I don't like watching a team that has a terrible defense. At the same time, what matters to me is not whether they beat the Eagles. It's, you know, for them to do something more meaningful the rest of the season, it has to be beating a team that that is good. Like beating a good team when it counts, that's going to that's gonna be a meaningful playoff win to me. The fact that they're playing the Eagles, I think is maybe the worst, if not the second worst team in the all the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to prove much to me. It's not like I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, now we're now we're going. So I, I, I agree, like emotionally, like I don't think the Seahawks can win anything on Sunday. People will disagree, but it, I mean, they're expected to win. They should win. But if they win, it's like, OK, they should have. I mean, the Aren't Eagles like one point Vikings were not even included in the NFL's playoff video that they sent out. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the NFL doesn't even think it matters if the Seahawks beat the Eagles. So I don't know. I oh, I got to change the subject for one second. Although I am enjoying this conversation, I know we're probably got to wrap up here too. But but what did you guys make of? Because it was a lot of conversation. What did you guys make of 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 Pete's commentary on the pass interference and what the NFL said today? Did you guys hear it? Do you need me to tell you what he said? Let's repeat it for the listeners. So for folks, everyone remembers, right, that uh, there's a little bit of controversy last week. Um, Some of it was under the Seahawks control and some of it was not. Um, The part that was not under the Seahawks control was everybody seemed to think that Jacob Hollister was interfered with on third and goal. And um, other than not quite everybody. Yeah, 49ers fans and the refs uh, did not think that. And the NFL released Al Riveron, the NFL officiating guy, released things saying, hey, Hollister initiated contact and we got a good angle and we didn't need to review it further. That was basically the official thing. Well, Pete said today in his press conference, and I did not hear him. I just read what the quotes were from the the reporters, but that the quote was the NFL wishes pass interference had been called. And the implication that folks like Joe Fan and others were saying is that um, their interpretation is Pete's impression was that the NFL believes it was pass interference, wishes it had been called on the field. There wouldn't have been any evidence to overturn it in video. The fact that it wasn't called on the field, they didn't feel like there's necessarily enough evidence to overturn it, but they do believe it was pass interference. That's essentially what, what Pete was getting at today. I think Pete is really butthurt about that game. I really do. His post-game conference, completely depressed. 
was really like we had a we had a shot there at the end of the game playing the ball we want to play you know play we had a shot to win the game and we missed it by an inch and I think Pete Carroll's a little butthurt that's my that's my analysis on this situation <laughs> Nathan or Jeff any other any other I mean, what, what do you think about that quote or about that issue did you have any other interpretation of what Pete was getting at just Pete. He's kind of a troll. Oh, and he can't it. really, in, sorry to cut you off, Jeff, but he can't really say like they wished they had called DP, DPI. Of course they not. He's just rubbing he the can't salt. say that, but he can say like, I got the sense, my feelings that they wished that, right? That it's 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 a, a little bit of a play on words. Well, I mean, he's definitely in the past talked about where the NFL has admitted that they got a call wrong um, when they've, and he's also talked about plays where they said it wasn't. My general impression was he was saying, yeah, they admitted this was the wrong call. They weren't necessarily admitting that there was enough to overturn it on replay. I don't, if that, let's, let's switch it for a second. Let's assume that that's the message he got back from the NFL. Yes, we think it was pass interference. No, we don't think it should have been overturned. What if that's the case? Does that make any sense at all? Have you followed this all year? It's it's a complete clusterfuck. I mean, it makes sense according to the current rules, but what it means is the current rules need to be overhauled. It's the guys. The process. Yeah, yeah, the process for this is. Did you hear Al Riveron's explanation where, like, he said he saw the TV replay that lasted for like four seconds, and that was enough? to give him a clear answer like Jackson, they have three seconds to evaluate that replay this is the guy running the whole operation so the whole thing has been screwed up all those refs have left that job to go work on tv and they end up with this guy who's kind of a goof and the whole thing has been goofed all year I, i'll just say if, if that's the case if the nfl said yep it was pass interference they should have called it nope shouldn't have been overturned on replay. That's a huge problem. That's a huge problem because the only way that they can be saying after the fact that yes, it was pass interference is how by reviewing video replays of the play. So you can't tell me that there was enough evidence for them to say it was pass interference, but no, it shouldn't have been overturned. That's, that's basically the NFL like admitting that the process isn't working. So what so what solves this situation though is allowing the ability to challenge with within two minutes, correct? Because if they had challenged and that they said it should have they're been at, they're called, at timeouts anyway. I, I okay, don't, but say, I don't think that that changes it because I think, I what, think it does what either. the NFL is saying is that they are gonna give on PI, they're gonna give the refs a lot of leeway uh, on what they call on the field. And that things, and I think that we've seen this mostly be true, that things have to be pretty egregious. It has to be a really, really badly missed PI for them to review it, right? Like, if you go back, the whole reason that this is happening this year is that Saints-Rams game last year, when it was like the most egregious PI possible, and they missed it. And I think that that is, I think... I think that's probably what the NFL has wanted all along is that just those are the plays that will get overturned, but you kind of can't like, it, it's kind of Pandora box on them. I and mean, you can't just put that back in now when, you know, you've got, you know, 
you've got things that are clearly PI or, or fairly clearly PI that are missed and, you know, broadcasts that are replaying it like six times and, and fans are going to get mad. I mean, what they need to do is they just need to get rid of the review and go back to what it was and hope that their refs don't just crap the bed again in a big situation like that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't, it just doesn't seem that hard to fix. I, I, I mean, there are plays it's okay if they're going to say that has to be egregious, but if it's clear that there was pass interference, then they, then they call it like they do this on replay for all sorts of things. Fumbles are hard to tell. Like, you know, did the Persian have, you know, possession and make a football play. And I mean, those have been, those have been challenging, but you can figure that out. It feels like there's been enough this year where there was like pretty clear evidence that they just didn't call it. And it's almost like they've been given the instruction to not overturn it on replay almost no matter what, which is just weird. So like, I don't know. I, I, I think that this, I do not, I, I'm if anyone that read my morning after and just generally listens to my commentary, I, I don't ever blame the officials for a lost game ever. Even the 2005 Super Bowl, I do not blame that on the officials. Like I do. I don't like ultimately you control what you can control and <laughs> the Seahawks, Jeremy Stevens shouldn't have dropped so many passes. Like, anyway, we, that's another conversation. Yeah. That's the, but, so like, we're not talking about that today, but the fact of the matter is this was a play that was pretty obviously pass interference and they didn't call it and they didn't use the replay to even review it. And it affected four different teams, playoff seedings. I mean, it was a major play and I think it's just a huge fail by the NFL, um, regardless of whether you're a Seahawks fan or not. I just think it's a huge, huge fail. And I don't think the answer is don't review it. I just think it's like, make the obvious calls. It's not that hard. So anyway, I I find that frustrating, especially going into the playoffs and, and trying to figure out what's going to happen. So um, I would say that that is less frustrating than delay of game at the one yard line. Um, I certainly hope that the Seahawks can control that and not have that happen again. But man, um, let's hope that that there's no pass interference that are the make or break part of this game coming up. What do you think of Jacob Hollister at the goal end there? Do you think he should have scored or like made more of an effort? Seems like he went down. Guys cool. tackling him. I thought it was pretty <laughs> tough. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Yeah. All right, guys, we're going to we're going to wrap up there. Um, I know it's been a, a long night for some. Appreciate everybody's support. Um, you know, enjoy yourselves. Uh, Eagles fans, as much as they're, you know, have a bad reputation. Eagles fans, I would take them all over 49ers fans. So uh, happy to have some common common uh, conversations with Eagles fans this week. And uh, let's hope we have something to celebrate and talk about next week. Um, even though it's not the the game that I consider the most important, I am looking forward to hopefully uh, having more Seahawks games to talk about and uh, see if maybe the Seahawks can build. Maybe maybe Dwayne Brown comes back. Maybe Dwayne Brown, if not this week, next week, and we, we start looking at a Seahawks team that starts building towards something more meaningful. So uh, you got four guys that have picked the Seahawks to win this week. So hopefully – we will see you in a week to do Real Hawk Talk. If nothing else, we will do post-game following the Eagles uh, matchup. Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock is when that game is. So uh, post-game will start soon after it wraps. Until then, have a wonderful, wonderful, happy new year, everybody. Go Hawks and take care.